This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show on a Saturday morning, 2023 style. We might as well call this season three style because I've taken a break. I've taken some time off. I've lived life and I've gone through some stuff and we'll talk about some of that. But the point is it's been a while, but I am back. And this time I promise I won't leave you. And I know that I've only promised you that a hundred times, but this time you're gonna believe me because I mean it, baby. And that's my promise to you. Let's just dive right into what's been going on. It was my stated goal for this past season to watch every Bucks game and then afterwards have a really thoughtful discussion about Tom Brady, how he played, you know, what went on with the Bucks, all of those things in the larger context of his career, things like that. And this season just did not go how I planned that. Um, even the wins were miserable and it was a really rough season that almost started to turn toward the end and I started to think about what next year was going to be like and how we would, you know, potentially go through that next year. That maybe next year would be the year that I could sort of go through each game in that way because there might be a better outcome because surely he wouldn't go out on this low. Surely it wouldn't end like this. And there you have it. And it's one of those things in life. You're always sure that there will be more time. You're always sure that there will be another opportunity. You're always sure that this is not the final chance. And unfortunately for me, it was the final chance, at least in terms of you know live discussions about games that have just occurred. Um, I suppose there's some possibility of going back and you know looking at previous games and discussing them that way. But this was a joyless sort of season, and it's disappointing for things to end this way on a year that was so tough. Um, but that's how things go sometimes. You don't always necessarily get to write the ending you want. I mean, I guess if he had walked away after winning the Bucks Super Bowl, then that sort of would have been a storybook-ish ending. But this is where we're left, and I'm left feeling like I made a mistake by not still simply sitting there and talking about everything that was going on. But it was, nonetheless, it was just a joyless time to be, you know, a Bucks fan this season. It was a rough year. Um, I will say that heading into last offseason, upon the announcement of his retirement, I intended to record an entire series about just being a fan of Tom Brady throughout the years and what it meant to me with sports and you know how I grew with it because I was a kid when Tom Brady was at Michigan and I was a Michigan fan and I grew to watch him usurp my favorite quarterback in New England and I, I was angry at Tom Brady at that time and I was, I was you know, 16 or something. I was dumb and... Um, obviously I got over it and it truly became, you know, one of the great loves of my life to watch Tom Brady play. And I wanted to talk about all that. And then he came back and then I thought, well, let's talk about every game. And then that didn't go how he wanted. So this is me stating my intention to go back and redo that series. And we're going to talk about this whole situation. We'll talk about what it was like last year, going into last year, what it was like going into this year, what it was like to be joyless this year. I want to go into all of these things and whether or not I do that as, you know, the blunt doctor show or as a separate sort of one-off series that is to be determined. I'm sure I'm not going to be the only person who does something like this, but that is a career that meant a lot to me. And 
sports and especially football will never be the same for me again, no matter what happens, you know, no matter how much I may enjoy certain players or certain teams, it's always going to be a little bit different for me from now on. And, you know, when my son grows up and he's a few years older and I get to go back and show him how great Tom Brady was, that'll be fantastic. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously everything's recorded and, um, you know, it's there. So it's going to be easy to do that. It's not like when we were kids and our dads would tell us stories and, you know, there was very little footage and you kind of just had to go on what your dad told you. I'm going to be able to show him all of these things and, you know, tell him the context for what it meant to me at that time. And that's important to me. And that will be great. But I really thought we had one more season. And so this is this is me just I'm I'm apologizing to anyone who would have cared to have listened to me discuss these games as they went on, but it's also like I don't even know that I would have been able to accurately discuss them in in you know the way I should have. I'm an emotional person. Everyone knows that about me. Like I think that's pretty clear. You listen to the show, you know. And as I flick plastic around the room, um I I just feel things a lot and Sometimes when I'm having one of my little emotional outbursts, I really don't want to talk about these things, even if they mean a lot to me, um, because I'm not going to be able to properly contextualize what I feel in that moment. You know, I'm a person who, when I am awash in anger, it's just better for me to walk away for a moment. When I'm frustrated, I need to just calm myself down because I'll make a poor choice or say something stupid. It's a personal flaw, but it's what comes with the territory. I'm a passionate person. Anyone who knows me knows that probably the number one thing you would say about me is that I'm overly passionate about things, but that's where the good comes with the bad. I, you know, I want more than anything to be a really good father. I am working my ass off to obtain a new degree. I'm doing all these things hardcore and I'm going full throttle on them, but that also means that when I care about something, I care about it a lot. When I'm upset by it, I am hurt deeply. And that doesn't mean that I need to lash out and act ridiculous. And I don't think I do those things anymore. I'm sure that I did in my youth, but I feel things greatly. And so coming on here after one of those disappointing losses, I'd be, you know, silent and not the blunt doctor that you know and love. And so it just wasn't the year that I wanted it to be. And that's fine because 2023 is going to be the year that I want it to be. That is my promise to you. 2023 is going to be the year that I fulfill the promises and the destinies of the blood doctor. And that's going to be something that you can look forward to enjoying with me because I'm going to be recording this motherfucker a whole lot more. I'm going to stop writing so many damn tweets and I'm going to just start coming in here and recording my thoughts like a maniac and putting them online for you to ignore. So let's go ahead and look forward to that, but also look forward to this Tom Brady series, which I'm actually going to write down and actually plan out and not come in here and, you know, spout off stream of consciousness like I do everything else. That's the thing about this show. I have notes, okay? I've got notes about topics that I want to cover, but I do not write this down. I'm pretty sure everyone can tell that I do not write this down. And I've been criticized by some people who said, oh, well, I don't really like the freeform nature of your show. I like a show that's more organized. Good for you. When you can go onto a podcast and talk for an hour by your fucking self and create engaging, interesting content by yourself and argue multiple sides to a problem by yourself, 
I'll really be interested to hear what you have to say. And until then, you can go fuck yourself. I'm better at this than basically everybody. That's how I fucking feel about this. That's why I don't have ads, because I don't need anyone to buy me or censor me or tell me what it is. I'm fucking good at this. I'm the best at this. God damn, I missed this microphone. Let's fucking dive in. On a personal life note, I have been going through depression. And the reason that I'm just going to openly, honestly tell you that is because I know someone listening to this has to. Simple fact of life, we struggle as humans when we are going through something, you know, taxing at work, when we have a familial situation, when you have a child. There is so much to deal with as a human. And even someone like me who sits here and pontificates into the microphone about what a badass I am and makes, you know, grandiose speeches about all the things I want to see and do, blah, blah, et cetera. Even a person like myself, there are moments where I feel like all of that bravado is a house of cards that topples down onto me. And despite it being a house of cards, I myself am just a card and I am incapable of pushing my way out of it. And it feels like I'm buried. And the thing is that I know other people feel this way too. It is important to acknowledge this. It is important to acknowledge when you feel this way. And it is important to be able to acknowledge it to others because the most important thing you can do is recognize that you are not alone and help someone else recognize that they are not alone. The only way that we grow and connect as humans is through honest communication. And that doesn't mean that you have to be openly honest and candid with every single person that you know, but it means that those connections that you do have are going to be so vital to you in those moments where you feel like all the lights have been shut off and you're locked in the garage and there's no way out. And it's just important for everyone to keep fighting. And it's important for everyone to, nobody should succumb to those moments. And I've made speeches like this before on this show. And I'm sure that people have heard me make speeches like this before. And so I'm not saying anything new. I'm not saying anything you haven't heard before, but it's important to repeat it, that there is someone in your life who cares so much that if you anything happened to you, they would be broken. And when you feel that way, you need to reach out to someone around you, whether it's a friend, family member, therapist, whatever. And, I, and believe me, I did. I'm not trying to sit here and say I wallowed and I wish I totally have been reaching out to people and people have helped me through this situation to improve my mental health, to get me back on my feet to where I need to be because I am susceptible to anxiety just like any other person. Even the blunt doctor in all of his, again, grandiose bravado can fall down and be knocked over and just be a person who feels incomplete. So I share that openly as I have a new audience from people who are on Spoutable and I'm starting to talk to some of you and I, I share these things openly because it is important that we destigmatize mental health problems. It is important that we recognize depression as something that everyone goes through. It is important that we recognize that everyone needs help at one point because that recognition may be enough to change someone's life or save their life. You never know when, you know, that one intervention, just reaching out to someone and being like, hey, are you okay? It matters. It really does. And truthfully, it may save your own life. If you are able to reach out when you otherwise may not have. And I hope that, you know, anyone who listens to me knows you're having a bad day. You come talk to me. 
I'm always available. I don't ever sleep. I'm always awake. You can always talk to me. This world is brutal. Capitalism is a hell. And it puts us all in a place where we are all scraping to get by. Even people with money struggle with all of the pressure of day-to-day life. And nobody should ever feel like they are less than because they're not. You're not. Unless you are an you know, openly Nazi, bigoted, transphobic, homophobic, racist piece of shit who loves to be that, you are not less than. So unless you're Steven Crowder, you are not less than. If you are Steven Crowder, you are less than. I'm willing to put that out there. But other than that, I come here to say I have been struggling with my own mental health because I want everyone to know it's okay. And I know that this is a little podcast with three, six, seven listeners, whatever. Who cares? Because if one person needs to hear that, I want you to hear it from me. I want you to know that I have been to the same place you have been. It's a big reason I haven't recorded this very podcast lately. And guess what? I'm fucking back. I got back. I'm up. And now I'm about to kick more ass than anyone's ever seen. So all of those things being said, let's all check in on the people around us that we love and check in on ourselves. Don't forget your own mental health. It's not only about taking care of those around you. It's also about taking care of yourself. Yes, we need to love everyone around us. Yes, we need to be mindful of everything that those people that we love need. Absolutely. But you need to love yourself too. You need to be proud of yourself for everything that you have done. And you know what, stranger? I'm proud of you too. And now, after that little positive speech, let's go to a hateful one about a person I suppose, let's see, is this speech, the speech is hateful because the person is hateful. Let's put it that way. The only note I have for this, and it's the only note that is needed, is Ron DeSantis is a Nazi. Now, I don't actually think that this man has any chance of winning the presidency because despite how popular he may be among MAGA people and despite how popular he may be in Florida, Neither of those two populations represent reality. And reality includes independent voters, all of whom think, like I do, that Florida is a Nazi hellhole. And that place has been gerrymandered to death to the point that there's no ability for them to even vote their way out of the fascism that they have put themselves into. And I I don't know there's nothing good to say about Florida. What, what what would you even say about Florida? Like Disneyland is there. Palo Bancaro looks really good for the magic. I suppose those are the only things that you would say that are good about Florida. This place is a fucking tragedy. As we have seen in the last week, you know, the state of Florida rejected AP African-American history as a class. So the college board, a national group of people got together and created a class called AP African-American History, and Florida decided it violated their laws on education. So Florida is openly saying, you know, we don't need no learnings here. I apologize if that Southern accent wasn't a Florida Southern accent, but I don't know how to properly speak dumbass, so you'll have to forgive me. But the point is, this whole stop woke law has now taken it to the point where Florida just believes, much like Texas has done, that they don't have to educate anyone on anything that might hurt white people's feelings. And this AP, you know, African-American studies class 
teaches that, you know, white people were the proponents of slavery and that slavery was a horrible thing that was done to black people and that there are effects of slavery even today. And those are the most basic things that you could say without even drawing parallels to how the, you know, prison system is a modern form of slavery, slavery designed to keep people of color, you know, behind bars working for, you know, 80 cents an hour or whatever it is. You know, you're not, we're not even necessarily talking about drawing all those parallels. We're not even talking about, you know, the fact that this entire country is, a white supremacist system designed to keep people of color from obtaining basically anything. We're not talking about the fact that there are Republicans who still to this day are talking about raising the voting age to 21 because they don't like that college students are able to vote, which again is going to have a lot of people who are young kids of color who want to vote or white kids who actually have the sense to not be evil and vote Republican it doesn't matter that every single thing that Republicans do is to disenfranchise young people, people of color, poor people. It doesn't fucking matter. Florida ain't about no learnings and neither is Texas. And so we're not going to fucking teach them any of that. We're not even going to teach them the most basic things. We're going to teach them nothing. They keep saying, you know, uh, African-American history is American history or black history is American history is what they've been is been saying. And that's one of those things that sounds great when you're trying to be inclusive, but really is just bullshit to bury and whitewash what has actually happened to people of color in this country. And that's all that Florida and Texas want to do is literally whitewash things. And in, in, in this case, whitewash is not just a fucking term. It's literally what they want to do. They want to scrub everything to the white person's perspective so that no white person anywhere would ever be made to feel bad. And that's literally what the stop woke law is, by the way, is essentially a law that says that no person should be made to feel bad about like what their ancestors did, essentially, like white people shouldn't be made to feel guilty that black people were slaves, which is just the most ludicrous fucking thing in the world. Of course, we should feel some form of guilt when you see things that go, when a black person gets shot at a fucking traffic stop for existing, I would hope that that makes you feel something. I would hope that that makes you think, holy shit, this isn't right. I can get stopped by police and I won't be shot just because I'm, I'm a, a white person. Like, I would hope you feel something. I mean, the Tyree Nichols situation is horrible and the officers who who murdered that man deserved the charges they got. But I just noticed it was a black. Uh, <laughs> the officers were black and we had no problem charging them with murder immediately. But so many other officers, well, they have qualified immunity. They didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. Well, they didn't mean to snap his spine, but these officers were black. So we made sure to arrest them right away. And I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to be arrested, but it just, even within the racist police system, there's still a racist structure. Even black police are the only ones that, that we want to charge, like when they do something horrible. It just, our country's fucked up. And Florida is basically being allowed to do this shit unchecked. Now, you know, there's a whole, there's going to be lawsuits over this, this, you know, AP class and who knows what the actual outcome will be? But Ron DeSantis is literally a Nazi. They've banned books. They are banning learning. They are literally trying to prevent intelligentsia from existing. They threaten anyone 
who comes from out of state. They literally like have license plate frames and 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 uh, all these things that th- flags, you know, don't tread on me, blah, blah, blah. And they literally threaten people. Don't come to Florida if you don't want to be shot, you know, whatever. It's it's a fucking nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And I feel so bad for people who are who live there, who don't have the money to leave, who don't have relatives who can help them, who are faced with essentially like potentially having to sell every item they own and pack up and move to another place where they don't know anyone, they don't have a job, they don't have a place to live because it's that horrible because they just want to get away from Florida. Like we're literally at that point. And I mean, it's just only going to get worse because DeSantis has essentially consolidated power to the point that even term limits or whatever, he's running for president, whatever, whoever the next governor will be will very likely be a Republican and will very likely just continue this string of madness. You're not allowed to read books. You're not allowed to have independent thought. You're not allowed to do anything that isn't exactly what a straight white Christian man would want you to do. You can't wear the clothes you want. You can't identify as the person that you are. You can't do anything that doesn't make short little Ron DeSantis and his tiny little penis happy. And it's just, it's, it's, it's absurd that we in this, in this day and age in 2023 still have autocrats running around under the title of governor who can sit there and ban essentially everything again that isn't straight white Christian ideology and arrest people for literally nothing. He he arrests people who uh, blow the whistle on COVID misinformation. He fires prosecutors who are Democrats. It's just everyone who doesn't agree with him gets fired or arrested. That's literally what Adolf Hitler did. Uh, we are hopefully not going to get to the point of the gas chambers, but I feel like I need to sound the fucking alarm about the fact that that's literally how this stuff begins. This is where that comes from. Hitler did not just start executing people on day one. Okay. He got millions of people to agree in this horrendous idea that, you know, most of the people of the world essentially were evil and that there was only this master race that was good. You can't do that overnight. And it has started with Donald Trump and it has continued now to the point where this is this is literally this is literally how fascism begins. This is literally the rise of fascism. And Democrats sit there and you know they ho hum and they shrug and they go, oh well, the Republicans, blah, blah, blah. And they won't call them out on any of it because they're cowards. They're absolute cowards with no spines, no backbones, nothing. And you're literally losing an entire state to this what what are those children going to learn what are they going to be taught they can't read books parents can sue teachers for telling them anything every single thing that goes on in that school in in that state in a school in that state is going to be a fucking nightmare everything will become lawsuits everything will become violence and school board meetings with people threatening each other and All because white people can't handle the idea that maybe in the past our relatives did something wrong and that maybe we have benefited from that. Guess what? Those things are fucking true. Okay. If you're a white person, you have benefited from white privilege in one way or another. It's just a fact. And it doesn't mean that you have never earned anything in your life or you've never worked hard. That's not what I'm trying to say. People get so offended. White privilege is real. White supremacy is real. And we must dismantle these systems if we want a just and free world. 
And as long as people like Ron DeSantis are allowed to just continue unchecked, we will never have that. And I've made this argument before, and I'm going to make it to you again, especially if you're in a Republican state, especially if you're in a battleground state, you need to run for local office. The most important thing that you can do to help change the tide in this country is run for local office. In local office, you have the power to work on districting maps. In local office, you have the power to find corruption and mismanage money. In local office, you have the power to change laws that uh, allow for polling sites and how voting is done. So much of what prevents progressive politics from moving forward in this country is the fact that we are not organized at the local level. Republicans are organized at the local level. They are good at this stuff. They are very good at keeping other people from voting. And as long as we continue to ignore those local races, this will continue to happen. And I am asking you right now, today, to go look at 2024 and go see what local office you can either run for, help a friend run for, or volunteer on a small campaign for. It seems like nothing. It seems so small, but it's actually some of the most crucial shit that you can do because otherwise we continue to lose more of this country to Nazis. Nazis, Nazis. I do not use that term fucking lightly. I am serious. This is fascism. This is how Hitler's Germany rose. It starts in such a small way and it gets worse and worse and worse. And we dodged a bullet with Trump losing his second election, but who knows what's going to happen in 2024 unless you participate and help change things. I've asked you to do it before and I will ask you to do it again especially if you're in Florida, especially if you're in Texas, especially if you're in Ohio, run for local office. Let's move to sports. I don't really have anything to say about the Super Bowl at this time, so let's talk NBA. The Phoenix Suns have a new managing partner. We are days away from Matt Ishbia taking control of the team from Robert Sarver and putting that fucking asshole loser behind us forever in the trash bin of history where he belongs. And it's really interesting. Matt Ishbia, I haven't had a chance to talk about it because the agreement happened after I last recorded, but he seems kind of like the ideal dude you would want as like a managing partner of your team. He's a guy who played basketball at Michigan State. He played in a couple of Final Fours for Tom Izzo. So he understands what it's like to be a player, maybe not at the professional level, maybe not as a star. He was a bench warmer in college, but he nonetheless was a basketball player, understands what it takes to play basketball, and therefore he's going to have more respect for, you know, what the players put in. You like that. He's also a billionaire. You know, I hate billionaires in general, but given that this is sports and this is how it goes, I like having a rich owner. Um, Sarver was one of the poorest guys in the NBA. So when it came to transactions, he was always cheap. And I'll always remember when the Suns were in the prime of contending and always were thin in the front court. There was one year that the Suns wanted to dump salary and they traded Kurt Thomas. And I think his salary was seven million, seven or eight million. They traded Kurt Thomas and two first round picks for one second-round pick from Seattle. So they traded their starting center and two first-round picks for a second-round pick in a salary dump because Robert Sarver didn't want to pay his starting center or two first-round picks. 
He couldn't even just get rid of the picks and maybe get future picks and maybe we'll pay them later. No, no. Just get rid of it. Dump one of our core rotation pieces. Who cares, right? Everyone remembers the Joe Johnson situation where he let Joe Johnson leave. I have in the past said that Sarver actually would have been carrying four large contracts at that time, and that wasn't done, but I was actually wrong. So I'm reversing my stance if you've ever heard me on that. He did fuck that one up. The point is that Robert Sarver was a cheap piece of shit, and then it came out that he was racist, sexist, homophobic, human garbage. So on top of being a horrible owner, he was also a horrible dude, and now our new owner at least seems to be a halfway decent person who has a lot of money to spend. So better guy, more money, obvious upgrades from a managing partner perspective. Um, Whether this dude is actually a really good person, I don't know. There's lots of corporate articles about how good he is with his, you know, managers and all these things. But, you know, so much of that stuff is like corporate speak. How much of it can you really trust? I don't know. The thing about Matt Ishbia is we're going to know really fucking quickly because of the Jay Crowder situation. As we know, Crowder was disappointed about being moved to the bench this season and essentially wanted an extension to know that even though he was being moved to the bench in favor of Cam Johnson, that he was still part of the team's future. The team refused, essentially citing the ownership situation. You know, they didn't know who was going to be the owner. They didn't know what their stomach for luxury tax would be, blah, blah, et cetera. And the Suns didn't want to make any moves until that situation was resolved. They did not say they would never pay Jay Crowder, but that's the situation that we're in now. I don't understand why Jay Crowder in a contract year would think that sitting is good for him. I don't understand that thought process at all. But nonetheless, this is where we are. The team agreed to let Jay Crowder sit at home. His value has tanked around the league. I don't know what he was thinking. He's not going to get the money he wanted, especially now. I don't. I understand feeling disrespected, but I mean, when you're in a contract year, sitting out is just probably the worst thing you can do if the most important thing to you is getting that next contract, which is what it seemed like it was to Jay. And now he may have really hurt himself. Now, if he ends up getting traded the deadline to a team like the Bucks and you know, they make a deep playoff run and he shines, then it may not end up mattering. But currently, the move is questionable. And nonetheless, it is where we're at. And it's going to be the big test for Matt Ishbia. What do you do with this Jay Crowder situation? With Jay Crowder and Dario Saric and one or two other pieces, depending on how big the trade gets and exactly what person you're targeting, You can acquire some pretty good players. There are ways to acquire a Pascal Siakam. There are ways to acquire John Collins. And obviously, you'd be parting with multiple first-round picks to do these things, and that's fine. Um, The Kyrie Irving thing that started today, we'll talk about that in a bit, but I I hope the Suns are not stupid enough to do that. We do not want to target Kyrie Irving. But the point is, with a couple of contracts from non-core players and multiple picks, the Suns really can get into discussions about some pretty decent players. Now, you know, you're not going to be able to get into like the Kevin Durant discussion, obviously. And even with Siakam, you know, one of the pieces you'd have to include would likely be Cam Johnson. Um, You know, you're not just going to get Siakam for nothing. It's going to be, you know, Crowder, Saric, Cam Johnson, multiple first round picks. That's a trade package for Pascal Siakam. For John Collins, it's probably something like Crowder, Saric, multiple picks, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but the point is all of those moves would increase our salary, would push us into the tax. It would, it would cost more. 
And so we're going to see what stomach Matt Ishbia has for spending money on this team. You're coming in talking about, I was a player. I want to help us win. I know what it was. I've been successful in business. I'm ready to blah, blah, blah. You know, you can say all those things, but all that matters is do you actually do it? And I don't want to hear about the summer or future flexibility or developing new young players for the next window. The Phoenix Suns are still in a championship window right now, and it is time to trade assets and consolidate and go for a championship. And that is a fucking fact. You know, if this ended up being Jay Crowder for a future pick, I would be incredibly disappointed. If it ended up being Jay Crowder for some young players who can't contribute to a playoff rotation right now. And even if they could, Monty wouldn't play them anyway. Like I I would be disappointed. Like you have contracts and you have picks and you have another valuable asset that you can use in Cam Johnson. I love Cam Johnson. I love Cam Johnson. I would love to add John Collins without trading Cam Johnson. I really would. But I also understand what Pascal Siakam would mean to this team. And I also understand you have to give to get. So There are moves that I would make. And what stomach does Matt Ishbia have for making those moves? I see these rumors about Kyrie Irving, and I can only assume that that would mean a Chris Paul swap. And you couldn't talk me into that if you had a billion dollars in Kim Kardashian's phone number to offer. And I'm not hearing it. I don't want to hear it at all. So to me, this is truly a big test, but it's honestly really going to shape how I feel about this guy as a managing partner for a long time. If you take a swing for the fences and fail, I will respect you. I respect you a lot more if you go for it than if you say, nah, we're too scared, future flexibility this summer, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear any of that. This is the time to go for it. And I hope that this guy realizes that he is purchasing a team smack dab in the we're going for it window. You've got a star player who's a top five player in the league when he's completely healthy, who can score on literally anybody. You've got a young, incredibly versatile two-way center. And I don't care what anyone says. DeAndre Ayton is one of the most underrated players in all of basketball. You've got one of the best two-way forwards in all of basketball in Mikhail Bridges, who is becoming an offensive force before our eyes every single night, who, while Devin Booker has been hurt, has really taken his offensive game to a new level. Again, you've got trade assets, you've got contracts, you've got picks. Now is the time. Now is the time that you take the stab, that you go for it. And if the Suns do not go for it here, I'm just going to walk into this new managing partner situation and I'm going to believe that this guy doesn't have the stones to go for it. And that's just how I'm going to feel about it. That's how I'm going to view this situation. I won't respect this dude if he doesn't go for this. The Suns need to go for this. That's just all. I mean, it seems so obvious, basic, simple, whatever. That's why they were in the Kevin Durant discussions last summer. The Rudy Gobert thing completely threw that off. We all know that. But nonetheless, not doing something major at this trade deadline is absolutely unacceptable. And normally I don't think that, you know, trade deadline moves are always the best Um, You know, it doesn't always make sense in every single situation. In a lot of cases, it makes sense the way I understand all that. This situation calls for an in-season trade deadline move, shake things up, make something happen. And if you don't do that, I'm going to be very concerned about this tenure because you have to go for it. This is the time. I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but the Suns were inches away from a title with most of this team. And yeah, Chris Paul is a little older. But Booker, Ayton, Bridges, Cam Johnson, they're all better. And if you can add one more piece, you really have a chance to put yourself over the top. Look at what Drew Holiday did for the Bucks, And I know that wasn't midseason, 
But nonetheless, you've got an opportunity to do something special and you cannot waste it. And if you don't take a major swing at this trade deadline, it is a failure. That is an absolute failure. And I would be so disappointed in the Phoenix Suns. And it is time to make the move now. The final topic for tonight is the Kyrie Irving situation. And today he asked for a trade because the Nets were not willing to give him an extension. And one of the teams that's supposedly involved in these trade discussions is the Suns, which again, I cannot even fathom and I do not want in any way. But it also seems like the Mavericks and Lakers are involved, which make a lot more sense for a lot of reasons. But I just don't even understand this situation with Kyrie right now. Like, what is this dude doing? Like, you've already made yourself out to be a fucking asshole by being so incredibly insensitive to a community that was has already been marginalized and has had a history of persecution. And I, you would think that as a person of color, Kyrie would be more sensitive to that. And he, he just, I mean, he was just posting hateful things and standing by them and saying, this is what I believe. And Alex Jones was right about secret societies. And just because it's Alex Jones doesn't mean it's wrong. And, you know, he just said all these horrible things. And then eventually he walked it back and did his classes or did whatever it was that he needed to do. And, you know, now he's playing. Of course, he's a good basketball player. Everyone loves Kyrie again in Brooklyn, at least. But. I don't understand this dude's thought process. Like, like everything has to go your way or you're going to blow everything up. Like, this is now the third team that he's done this to. He did it to Cleveland. He did it to Boston. And now he's done it to Brooklyn. And why would anyone acquire this dude and expect the situation to be different? Gerald Bourget, a, a Suns writer who I enjoy, posted the clip of Tobias from Arrested Development talking about open relationships. You know, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might work for them, but it might work for us, you know, and that's kind of the situation he was saying with Kyrie is all these teams see how the situation with Kyrie blows up. And then they're like, yeah, but maybe it'll be different this time. And I can sort of understand two of these situations. Again, the Lakers, LeBron is, you know, a stabilizing force. And I can understand the idea that LeBron might be able to keep Kyrie in line more, blah, blah, et cetera. The Mavericks, you know, he's got a history uh, with the GM. And, you know, the Mavericks already hired a woman beater for a coach. And they already swept the sexual assault situation under the rug. So why not just trade for Kyrie Irving and trade away any of the last goodwill that Mark Cuban has with NBA fans? But whatever. You know, in Texas, you can get away with anything, pretty much. So I kind of understand those two situations. I'm not saying they're good, but I kind of understand them. But... Kyrie's like angry he didn't get an extension. What do you think another team's going to do? Why would you expect anyone to offer you $200 million or whatever it is when you act like this? Like, it was all goofy and funny when it was the flat earth stuff. But when you start posting like, oh, these people essentially deserve to die. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, how does anyone reconcile that stuff? How do we reconcile what Kyrie Irving has done is it the worst thing that any NBA player has ever done? Probably not. I mean, you could argue that inciting hate against a group is one of the worst things that you could do, and I'm not trying to defend that. I don't know that it's the worst thing that's ever been done. It's probably one of the worst things. But within the same season, we're just like over it. And now we're going to trade Kyrie to make sure that he gets his money. Like, I just don't, 
I understand that a fool and his money are soon parted, and I understand that it only takes one GM or managing partner to be stupid and say, we can change him and talk themselves into the max contract. I understand that. But Kyrie has shot himself in the foot on the court by not being a good teammate. He has shot himself in the foot off the court by leaving organizations, forcing his way out. And he shot himself in the foot on social media by posting evil, hateful things. And I just don't understand at what point are we just sort of done. Like, nobody, I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing from this dude. I'm tired of hearing how he feels he should be treated and all these grandiose things he believes. I don't, I don't care about Kyrie anymore because he's proven that he is a selfish thinker who cares about himself first and foremost and you know argues back and forth. I'm just a regular person. I'm not promoting anything. I have an army behind me, as many people pointed out. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know, saying that on the one hand that I don't promote anything and on the other hand that I have an army who'll do whatever I say. Like, which one is it? And it just, to see him now say, I demand a trade and I'm going to get it and it's going to go exactly how I want I just don't understand why anyone would want to invite this dude into their organization. And I very specifically don't want the Suns to do it. Chris Paul has been a stabilizing force that has taken this team to a new level. And the idea of removing that force for a person who has blown up three teams in a row. To me, trading for Kyrie Irving would be just like a precursor to Devin Booker asking out. I feel like the only thing in the world that could make Devin Booker ask out is fucking add Kyrie Irving to this team. And... I just have no interest in this. I don't want anything to do with this dude on my team. And I hope this doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that Kyrie doesn't deserve to be in the NBA or that people don't deserve second chances. I mean, look, the Miles Bridges situation is probably worse than what Kyrie did. And that happened this year. You know, it was horrible what he did. So I'm not trying to say that Kyrie never should be able to play again or anything like that, especially if he did satisfy the requirements that, you know, were put forth for him. And if... You know, the Anti-Defamation League is, you know, okay with what he's done. You know, I'm not saying he should never be able to work again. I just don't understand continually blowing up situations when... I mean, the guy is just a destabilizing force. And the only time he's ever been good was when he was playing next to LeBron James. Other than that, he's been a constant disappointment. And this is a guy that I used to love. Like, I was such a huge Kyrie fan. Everyone loves his shoes. We all love his game. Uncle Drew is so funny. But something changes... There's just a certain point when people make so much money and have so much power and so many fans that you just start to believe that nothing you could believe is wrong. Even if it's absurd, you just start to see yourself as infallible. And it seems like Kyrie has reached that point. And I just hope that, you know, he would insulate himself with better people so he doesn't feel that way. If you have the right people who keep you level-headed, I mean, LeBron's got all the money in the world, but he's still, you know, a dork who posts himself playing Madden on New Year's Eve and his wife's complaining to him and you know, he posts Taco Tuesday. I mean, LeBron's kind of like a regular dude in a super body who's like a hard worker who happens to just be the best basketball player of all time. But, you know, mentally, he's kind of one of us. LeBron is a cool dude. I like the things I see LeBron say and I just, I get none of that from Kyrie and I just hope that I hope that he changes and I hope that whatever team he goes to can you know, help him do that. But I don't want it to be the Suns. And that is the Blood Doctor Show. February 4th, 2023. The return is here. Season 3 is on. Again, take care of those that you love. Make sure that they know how much you care about them. 
and take care of yourself because we got a lot of big work to do in 2023. Peace.